Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for January, February and March 2013. Titled Origins, this podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 10 for March 2 to 8, Stewardship and the Environment. Sabbath afternoon, March 2. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again. We thank you that by studying your word, we can know more of who you are, why we are here, and our relationship to each other. We thank you for the creation that we've studied about. And as we continue looking at our origins, we just want to thank you for being who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's read that again, Genesis 1, 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The world in which we live is a gift of God from the Creator God, from Him who made heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of waters, as it says in Revelation 14:7. Within this creation he placed humans, set intentionally in relationship with himself, other persons, and the surrounding world. Therefore, as Seventh-day Adventists, we hold its preservation and nurture to be intimately related to our service to him. An excerpt from Caring for Creation, a statement on the environment by the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, reads... Since human poverty and environmental degradation are interrelated, we pledge ourselves to improve the quality of life for all people. Our goal is a sustainable development of resources while meeting human needs. In this commitment, we confirm our stewardship of God's creation and believe that total restoration will be complete only when God makes all things new. Sunday, March 3. Dominion Given at Creation According to Genesis 1, verse 26, Adam's dominion extended to all other created entities, in the sea, on land, and in the air. Dominion includes the idea of ruling or having power over these creatures. Nothing is said about dominion over the forces of nature themselves, only over the creatures. And according to the text, this rule was universal. Adam was to be, essentially, the ruler of the earth. Question. Read again Psalm 8. What is David's response to the honour that God gave to humans? What does it mean that we have been given honour and glory, especially in the context of humans having been given dominion over the earth? Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth! 
who have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength, because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honour. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. According to Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, one of Adam's earliest tasks was to name the animals. Names had great meaning in biblical times. One's name represented one's person and often one's status. The authority to give names to the birds and beasts was confirmation of Adam's status as ruler over the animals. Question. Read Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And that reads, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. In what ways do you see the principle of stewardship revealed here? Adam was assigned the task of caring for the garden, to manage it and tend to its needs. The Hebrew root smur, S-M-R, translated here as keep, or keep it, often means to watch over or to protect. The garden was a gift to Adam, an expression of God's love, and Adam was now given responsibility over it, another example of the dominion that Adam received at the time of creation. So, to finish today, how should our understanding of God as the Creator, or even more specifically, our understanding of the creation story itself, impact the ways in which we treat the environment? Why should our understanding of these things protect us from either gross indifference toward the environment, or in contrast, a fanatical devotion to it. Monday, March 4, Caring for Other Creatures Question. Psalm 50 verse 10 reads, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. What in this text touches on the topic of our stewardship and the earth? Question. Read Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. How does this text contrast radically with the common atheistic notions of a creation without a creator, a creation that comes into being purely by chance alone. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Creation of the animals was not an accident or an afterthought. God intentionally created them. It was His will that they should exist. And it is this principle that should guide our treatment of them. First of all, let's look at Exodus chapter 
23 verses 5 and 12. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. We'll also have a look at this time at Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 10. A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. And Luke chapter 14 and verse 5. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Indeed, cruelty toward animals and indifference toward their suffering are widely recognized as symptomatic of personality disorders. Many organizations have been established to promote good treatment of animals, and rightly so. However, at the same time, some people have gone so far as to claim that humans are not intrinsically more important than animals, and so humans should not be given preferential treatment. In many ways, this is a train of thought that flows logically from an evolutionary model of human origins. After all, if we and the animals are separated only by time and chance, why should we be any more special than they are? One philosopher has even argued that a chicken or even a fish has more personhood than does a fetus in the womb or even a newborn infant. However ridiculous these ideas might sound, they can be derived with a fair amount of logic from an atheistic evolutionary model of human origins. Of course, such ideas are not supported in Scripture. Humans have special status in God's plan, in contrast to the animals. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And Exodus chapter 29 and verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. And Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 3. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. So to finish today, put yourself in the mind of an atheistic evolutionist and work through the reasons for why you think that animals should be treated no differently from humans. What should this tell you about how important our presuppositions are in determining the outcome of our thought? Tuesday, March 15, The Sabbath and the Environment As we have seen, the concept of stewardship in the context of the way in which we take care of the planet is tied directly to the creation. Our views on creation will influence our views on the way in which we should relate to the creation. For some, the creation is to be exploited, used, even pillaged to whatever degree necessary in order to fulfill our own desires and wants. Others, in contrast, all but worship the creation itself. See Romans 1.25 
who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed for ever. Amen. Then there is the biblical view, which should give us a balanced perspective on the way in which we relate to the world that the Lord created for us. Question. Read Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. What do we find in this commandment that relates to stewardship? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. An excerpt from Caring for Creation, a statement on the environment by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, reads, God set aside the Seventh-day Sabbath as a memorial and perpetual reminder of His creative act and establishment of the world. In resting on that day, Seventh-day Adventists reinforce the special sense of relationship with the Creator and His creation. Sabbath observance underscores the importance of our integration with the total environment. But pointing us to the fact that God created us and the world that we inhabit, the Sabbath is a constant reminder that we are not wholly autonomous creatures, able to do whatever we wish to others and to the world itself. Sabbath should teach us that we are indeed stewards and that stewardship entails responsibilities. And as we can see in the commandment itself, responsibility extends to how we treat those who are under us. And so to finish today, think about how you treat other people, particularly those who are under your dominion. Are you treating them with respect, fairness and grace, or are you taking advantage of the power that you have over them? If the latter, remember, you will one day have to answer for your actions. Wednesday, March 6, Stewards of Our Creation As we have seen throughout the quarter, God's original creation was good, even very good. Everything and everyone came forth from the hand of the Creator in a state of perfection. There was no sickness, no disease, no death. Contrary to the evolutionary model in which disease, sickness and death are part of the very means of creation, these things came only after the fall, after the entrance of sin, Thus, it is only against the background of the creation story that we can understand better the biblical teaching about health and healing. Question. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What is our responsibility to God regarding the care of our bodies? 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our bodies are the vehicles for our brains, and it is through our brain that the Holy Spirit communicates with us. If we wish to have communion with God, we must take care of our bodies and brains. If we abuse our bodies, we destroy ourselves, both physically and spiritually. According to these texts, the whole question of health itself and how we take care of our bodies, the temple of God, is a moral issue, one filled with eternal consequences. Care of our health is a vital part of our relationship to God. Obviously, some aspects of our health are beyond our power. We all have defective genes. We all are exposed to unknown chemicals or other damaging agents, and we are all at risk of physical injury that may damage our health. God knows all this, but to the extent that lies within our power, we are to do our best to maintain our bodies made in the image of God. Writing in the Review and Herald on January 25, 1881, Ellen White writes, Let none who profess godliness regard with indifference the health of the body, and flatter themselves that intemperance is no sin, and will not affect their spirituality. A close sympathy exists between the physical and the moral nature. The standard of virtue is elevated or degraded by the physical habits. Any habit which does not promote healthful action in the human system degrades the higher and nobler faculties. Thursday, March 7, Stewardship Principles Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James 1.17 Question. How does this text help to set the foundation for a biblically-based concept of stewardship? Let's read it again. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We often tend to think of stewardship in terms of money. As we've seen this week, however, stewardship involves much more than just that. Yet, whether dealing with money or with environmental concerns or our own health, there are certain principles involved in good stewardship, principles that have their ultimate foundation in the creation as depicted in Genesis. In the end, because God is our Creator and because everything we have is a gift from Him, we are obligated before Him to be good stewards of whatever has been entrusted to us. Question. Read Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 to 30 to see how this parable illustrates the rewards of good stewardship. What is the message of this parable regarding the principles of stewardship in general? Beginning at verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one 
went and dug in the ground and hid his lord's money. After a long time, the lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and went, and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So... Take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ellen White writes in Christ Object Lessons, page 326 and 327, to his servants, Christ commits his goods, something to be put to use for him. He gives to every man his work. Each has his place in the eternal plan of heaven. Each is to work in cooperation with Christ for the salvation of souls. Not more surely is the place prepared for us in the heavenly mansions than is the special place designated on earth where we are to work for him. And so to finish today. What are you doing with the talents with which you have been entrusted? Remember, everything good comes from the Father of the heavenly lights. What choices can you make that will enable you to use these gifts in better service for the Lord's work? Friday, March 8. From the book Christ Object Lessons, page 326, we read, Christ's followers have been redeemed for service. Our Lord teaches that the true object of life is ministry. Christ himself was a worker, and to all his followers he gives the law of service, service to God and their fellow men. Here Christ has presented to the world a higher conception of life than they had ever known. By living to minister for others, man is brought into connection with Christ. The law of service becomes the connecting link which binds us to God and to our fellow men. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. The first is extraordinarily long. 1. Some secularists have proposed that the value of life should not be measured by whether the life is human, but by its potential to live a pleasant life. 
they might value a young, healthy chimpanzee more than they do an old, diseased human. For instance, read the following quote from Australian Peter Singer, who argues that, in certain cases, humans shouldn't have any more rights than some animals do. And this comes from Peter Singer, Writings on an Ethical Life, published in the year 2000, page 156. Far from having concern for all life, or a scale of concern impartially based on the nature of the life in question, those who protest against abortion, but dine regularly on the bodies of chickens, pigs and calves, show only a biased concern for the lives of members of our species. For on any fair comparison of morally relevant characteristics like rationality, self-consciousness, awareness, autonomy, pleasure, pain, and so on, the calf, the pig, and the much-derided chicken come out well ahead of the fetus at any stage of pregnancy, while if we make the comparison with a fetus of less than three months of old, a fish would show more signs of consciousness. Singer, of course, is an evolutionist. Thus, he believes that there's really no overt qualitative difference between us and the animals. We just have evolved into something different from what they did, that's all. The question is, what is radically wrong with this picture? How should we as Christians respond to this kind of thinking? 2. If you can find it, bring to class the entire text of Caring for Creation, a statement on the environment. This statement can be found at adventist.org slash beliefs slash statements slash main dash stat five dot html. Otherwise, use the sections quoted in this week's Sabbath study. Focus on how it ties in the Genesis creation to the environment. Dwell more on how a proper view of creation can protect us from taking an extreme position. Inside Story A Heart Full of Thanks Gopal and Ujjal and hundreds more like them work as global mission pioneers and lay evangelists in the Calcutta region of India. Ujjal is a young man, but a hole in his heart had left him chronically tired and subject to fainting spells. He couldn't work or even ride his bicycle. One day, Ujjal's friend Panalal told him that he was learning about Jesus, the powerful and loving God whom Christians worship. Panalal invited Ujjal to a meeting in his home. Ujjal went, hoping that the God of the Christians would heal him. He listened intently as Gopal, the global mission pioneer, explained that God forgives our sins if we believe and ask him. When Gopal finished his work, he invited those with special prayer requests to stand. Ujjal stood. Gopal asked what his prayer request was, and Ujjal described his heart problem. Ujjal bowed his head while Gopal prayed. Immediately, Ujjal felt an energy surge through him. He told Gopal that he believed he had been healed and that he wanted to become a Christian. Gopal came to Ujjal's home to study the Bible. Soon Ujjal, his parents, and his two younger brothers accepted Jesus as their saviour. 
The family attended a Seventh-day Adventist church in town, but Ujjal wanted to share his faith with others living in a nearby village. With his heart trouble gone, Ujjal rode his bicycle to the village and began sharing the gospel. He met a man with a chronic stomach trouble and told him, I know who can heal you without medicine. He told the man about Jesus and offered to pray for him. Ujjal took his pastor and Gopal to pray for the man as well. Soon this man and his family accepted Jesus as their saviour and asked to be baptised. Ujjal asked the family to open their home to hold prayer meetings. The other villagers had been watching the family and had seen the changes in their lives. One by one, the man and his family invited their neighbours to let Ujjal visit them and pray with them. As the people learned about Jesus, they began taking Bible studies and preparing for baptism. Ujjal became a lay evangelist and, so far, has led more than 50 people in this village to Christ. He also has begun working in another village where more people are learning about the loving and all-powerful God and accepting Jesus as their Lord. Our mission offerings help to support the work of global mission pioneers such as Gopal and Ujjal in Southern Asia and around the world. This podcast of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, the Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.